1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bellotti. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm like struggling. I have like a little hair in my throat somewhere or like in my, you know, when you have like a hair in your mouth and you can't figure out where it is. So I've been trying to identify that over the past few minutes. I just got back from my hair appointment, my six-week hair appointment. Like some people have like six-week checkups or like six-month dentist checkup. Like I have a six-week hair checkup where I go to my girl, like my favorite person in the world, my hairstylist Sahar, and she fixes me up every 6 weeks, just a little, you know, a little uh just pick me up, I guess. I get my grays dyed, I get a nice blowout, she puts like this really soft treatment in, I don't know what it's called, but I always walk out of there feeling like a million bucks, and she's like the only person I would trust to cut my hair short, which as you guys know, I'm rocking recently, but it was just with her I guess a hair like flew into my mouth somehow. So we're working through that. You know, just another day of struggle. (laughs) Just kidding. Like, honestly, things have been good this week. Monday was kind of – it was pretty shitty, if I'm being honest with you. Like, had a really rough Monday, but it was also super overcast. And I I know it's like a thing. It's definitely a psychological thing where – when it's super gross outside, you just like lose the will to live and go on and the motivation is just not there. So I was really going through it on Monday. I went to the dentist and was told I have a cavity. So like my first cavity in literally years, I thought I grew out of that, but I guess not. So like I have to do that. It's just, you know, it was one of those days where just everything was going wrong and it was raining so it just made it worse. But I will say we're on the up and up. If you're here in the US, we're approaching July 4th weekend. So I'm happy to go home and just relax with my parents and like not really do a ton, just kind of relax, recover because July is panning out to be a very stressful month, like a lot going on. So I'm just trying to appreciate every moment, you know, just be relaxed as I can be, focus on my passions like what do i want to do with my life because you know that's the the big buzz question like am i doing the right thing what is my passion what am i here for what's my purpose so if you are struggling with any of the above any of those things which i feel like i'm constantly dealing with on a weekly basis just like am i doing the right job am i living in the right city and am i setting myself up for the future that i want like just you know all those things if you are also battling with that. I find the way that I get myself out of the funk of feeling like I don't know what I'm doing with this life that I'm living. Like you get one life, am I doing the right thing? Am I focusing enough on my passions or focusing a bit too much on how much money it'll make me or like what is the most secure path I can take or what makes sense for me? Like what does society think or expect from me? When I get too in my head over these things, I find it's super helpful to identify those people that inspire me. Like who are those women out there with amazing stories and where did they, like how did they come to be? What did they do to get themselves where they are now? I think that's why influencer culture has gotten to be such a big thing because people are just looking for others out there to inspire them. Like in our day-to-day lives that oftentimes are not very exciting, we're just waking up, working, going to the gym, feeding ourselves, doing our laundry. You know, a lot of our day-to-day is pretty mundane. So in all of that, finding ways where we can be inspired on a daily basis. Like for me, I think of those people that I follow and I follow a lot of people who – you know, either wear clothes or go to places or do things that I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to follow this person and slightly obsess over them. Like that is how I, that's my following behavior, which maybe isn't healthy, but that's just social media for you. But in a different way, I mean, people have been doing this for literally centuries, studying people who have come before them and allowing themselves to feel inspired and motivated by these people. Like that's that's history for you. Like why do you think we study history? I guess a lot of times people say so we don't repeat the bad stuff, but also the good stuff keeps us going forward and making our own history. So with that, <laughs> I have an amazing story for you guys today. We're kind of paying homage to my older episodes where I, you know, picked a subject and talked about them because I've been doing a lot of personal diary entry-esque episodes recently, which I love and I will never stop doing. But I feel like you guys are pretty caught up in my life right now. Like I don't think there's been any major developments. Like who knows? I feel like I'm gonna jinx myself. Like maybe next week I'll have something crazy to share. But I feel like I'm good for now. Like we can put a pause on my uh life story and talk about someone from history that I Feel I've never heard of before. I, you know, maybe at one point in some class, somewhere along the lines of like high school, middle school, I maybe have heard of her. But honestly, if I did, not at this length. And this story really, it had me sitting there through all the research I was doing thinking, holy crap, this woman, like she is the blueprint. So today, I'm going to tell you a story, but the beginning of the story is going to take us somewhere a bit. Sinister. Somewhere a bit spooky, which is so the Scorpio in me. But okay, no more babbling. Let's get into the story. In Pantheon, Paris, there is a tomb. And at first glance, it looks like any other early 20th century tomb for a person with the means or status to afford one. It looks like clean, smooth marble inside, maybe even limestone. Not many markings, but flowers and other objects are placed on top of where a person lies underneath. What you wouldn't know from first glance about this tomb is that it's reinforced with an inch thick of lead. The lead protects the public from the radiation that still emanates from the dead person's body even 88 years after it was laid to rest. This is the story of Marie Sklodowska Curie, popularly known simply as Marie Curie, a Polish and French woman known as the mother of modern physics, who to this day is still glowing, literally. Notably, Marie Curie was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person and the only woman to win the Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win the Nobel Prize in two scientific fields, physics and chemistry. Take a shot every time I just said Nobel Prize. (laughs) So she was a smart cookie, this one. She did so many things in her life, a few notable ones being coining the word radioactivity. Like she literally coined the term radioactivity. She discovered two radioactive elements. Elements and brought x-rays to the front lines of World War I. But let's start at the beginning because this story I'm telling you guys is going to really motivate you. Especially if you're going through it. So let's start at the very top. Maria Salomia Sklodowska was born in modern day Poland on November 7th, 1867. Her father was a mathematics and physics teacher, and her mother operated a boarding school for girls. The family's economic situation was not great, it deteriorated due to the family's politics, as this was a time when Poland was not an independent country. So to make ends meet, Marie's family had to take in some student boarders. Marie was only eight years old when her oldest sister caught typhus from a border and died. That death was followed less than three years later by the death of her mother, who lost a five-year battle with tuberculosis at the age of 42. So she really, you know, battled some early on trauma of losing two members of her family. But Marie and her remaining family members drew closer to one another through all of this. Her father would share with her and her siblings a scientific apparatus that he had once used when he taught physics, but now he kept it at home because the Russian authorities had eliminated laboratory instruction from the Polish curriculum. Marie was very gifted in school, and she graduated high school with honors at fifteen. After graduation, she suffered a collapse that doctors thought was due to fatigue or a, quote, nervous problem, but today it might be diagnosed as depression. Her father urged Marie to spend a year with her cousins in the country after this episode, which she did, and it would be the only carefree year of her life. After her year in the country, Marie wanted desperately to continue her studies and get a degree, Barred from attending the University of Warsaw because she was a woman and it was the late 1800s, oh, what a time to be alive, Marie instead, she did something actually pretty cool. She attended this university called the Floating University, which I've also seen called Flying University by some sources online. It was called the Floating University because its classes met in constantly changing locations in total secrecy, so no one would ever catch on that she was being taught these things as a woman. In 1891, Marie enrolled at the University of Paris, the famous Sarbonne in France. She had very little money and survived pretty much only on buttered bread and tea. And in her living quarters, she kept herself warm during those cold winter months by wearing every single piece of clothing that she owned at once. She said this of her time in Paris. She said, so it was November 1891 at the age of 24 that I was able to realize the dream that had been constantly in my mind for several years, which like gives me goosebumps. Like, she at 24, she's like, I figured out my passion. Like, that's pretty inspiring, honestly. Like, here I am at 26, still trying to figure out like what my passion is in words. Like, what is it? We're still working on that. Anyway, so she said that she felt underprepared before starting at university, which makes total sense considering that she had to find loophole ways of getting a proper higher education in math and science back in Poland because... Of the woman issue. And she was right. She had a lot of catching up to do to stay in line with the other students. She was also not great at French, which was required to understand literally everything. But Marie, against all odds, she really refused to give up and lose heart. She was determined to overcome the shortcomings and work hard, and that she did. Marie earned her master's degree in physics in 1893. After getting that master's in physics, though, her lack of money almost stood in the way of her undertaking the math degree as well. So she was looking to get a master's in physics and math, but she just didn't have enough money to get the math degree. But she was undoubtedly so bright, and people saw that. She was working alongside some French scientists that were older than her, and they recognized her abilities and pulled some strings for her. So she was awarded a scholarship. But before completing the math degree, she was also commissioned to do a special study. So like in order to get her degree, she had to do an extra study. But in order to do the study, she needed to find a lab. And she didn't have a lot of money. She was a woman. She was in this unfamiliar area. Like, I mean, she was you know living in Poland her whole life and then went to France for this school and you know had limited resources. So she was very, very determined to find a lab that would take her. And this is where the story gets interesting and romantic, which you guys know is like my favorite thing. So Marie's search for lab space led her to a fateful introduction that would change her life and literally all of ours as well. In the spring of 1894, Marie Sklodowska mentioned to one of her physicist friends that she needed this lab space. And Marie's friend realized that his colleague, Pierre, might be able to help her find a lab. Pierre, who was also a super smart cookie himself, had done pioneering research on magnetism and was a lab chief, so it was kind of perfect. He suggested that perhaps Pierre could find room there for Marie to work, so they met, and Sparks flew. Marie's senior by about a decade, which, yes, is a bit sketch, Pierre had all but given up on love after the death of a woman that he fell for about 15 years earlier. So this guy had gone through a 15-year dry spell and then... You know, Marie lands on his doorstep. The women that he'd met since this love of his life 15 years ago had shown no interest in science, which was his life's passion, so just didn't work out. But in Marie, he found an equal but it almost didn't last. After her success in her math exam in the summer of 1894, Marie returned home to Poland for a vacation, unsure about whether she would return to France or not. But Pierre's heartfelt letters helped convince her to pursue her doctorate in Paris, so back to Paris she went, ooh la la, (laughs) love is not dead. In a simple civil ceremony in July of 1895, Pierre and Marie tied the knot. Instead of a wedding dress, Marie opted for a dark blue outfit, which she wore in the lab for years after, which just says so much about her. Honestly, it is kind of inspiring those people who don't get married in wedding dresses and choose something different. Like I know my mom got married in a lady suit. That's what we call it. Like it was a rented woman's suit, like a little skirt, but like a suit jacket sort of thing, like white very cute, very chic. Anyway, so back to the story. In September 1897, their first child, Irene, was born. Pierre's father, who was a physician, delivered the baby, which honestly just like made me cringe thinking about it. I know the times were different, and like obviously you can keep it in the family if you want, but there are just some things that my future father-in-law does not need to see like i don't know it's already enough that my husband has to like see that i mean it's a beautiful thing but i'm just very like you know whatever teach their own anyway so pierre's father delivered the baby and he would soon become the family babysitter actually while marie worked which is really inspiring like he stayed home with the kids marie would come home with pierre after work but like the dad watched the kids which was great Okay, backing up a couple of years. So in December of 1895, which was about six months after the Curies got married, a German physicist, Wilhelm Röntgen, discovered a kind of ray that could travel through solid wood or flesh and yield photographs of living people's bones. He dubbed these mysterious rays X-rays, with X standing for unknown, which I actually did not know. I feel like I must have learned that at some point, but I didn't know that X literally stood for unknown because it was such a weird unknown, uncharted territory at the time. Anyway, so only a few months after the x-ray discovery, French physicist Henri Becquerel reported to the French Academy of Sciences that uranium compounds, even if they were kept in total darkness, emitted rays as well that would fog a photographic plate. He had come across this discovery accidentally, of course, as they all are, but despite this intriguing finding, like how interesting, no light at all, and there's rays being emitted by uranium compounds. like Pretty crazy, even for someone like me who like doesn't really understand science. But even despite this discovery, the scientific community continued to only focus its attention on the new x-rays, classically. They were so into this x-ray thing, they're like, okay, uranium compounds, whatever. They neglected the much weaker uranium rays. It just wasn't as interesting to them. But Marie Curie refused to ignore this discovery. She thought it was great. Even small and potentially non-important, she focused on it. So she decided to experiment immediately. The director at the school where Pierre was professor of physics allowed Marie to use a crowded, damp storeroom there as a lab. The moist air in the storeroom tended to mess with the electric charge that she was testing, but she managed to make headway with it anyways. That's our girl all the while exposing herself to something dangerous, which she actually coined radioactivity. Soon she'd find out just how bad it was to be exposed to this new energy. But I mean, after all, if you think about it, I was doing some research into like the times, the general attitude towards this new energy was that it had to be good for your health. Like manufacturers of nearly everything from cigarettes to makeup added radioactive materials to their products on purpose. Burke and Braun, which was a German candy company, made a candy bar with these materials in it, calling it a candy that would make you look younger. So, yeah, that was like the general attitude at the time. Pierre and Marie, the dynamic duo, would later discover two radioactive elements together as well, polonium, named after Poland, and radium, named after the Latin word for ray. But back to radioactivity. So at first, Pierre and Henri, the guy who had done the preliminary research, received the Nobel Prize in Physics for the discovery of radioactivity. You know, the thing that, like, Marie came up with the name for. But she was not nominated at all, which wasn't shocking because she was a woman. But some members of the science community and her husband, we love Pierre, rallied for Marie. They thought it wasn't fair and that she deserved credit. Finally, in 1903, Marie Curie became the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. But in 1906, tragedy struck. Pierre was in Paris. It was just a normal Thursday and it was raining. He was on his way to a meeting with his publisher, but while crossing the street, a horse-drawn wagon carrying six tons of military uniforms ran him over. He was dead in an instant, which is just so heartbreaking. Like, I loved the dynamic duo. Very sad. But Marie kept going. Less than a month later, she received a job offer from the Sarban. She would take over her late husband's professor job, becoming Sarban's first female professor. In 1911, she won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for the discovery of those two elements that her and Pierre had worked on, radium and polonium. Marie alone received the prize, but thanked Pierre in her speech. The death of her husband launched Marie into a new project to create a state-of-the-art laboratory, a far cry from that damp storeroom where she worked for so many years. She built what she called the Radium Institute, which was actually just a few streets away from the lab where she and Pierre had worked and fell in love, as we know. In 1920, Marie developed cataracts, aka an eye condition that caused blurred vision. She had to write her lecture notes in huge letters and rely on her daughters to guide her around campus. She wasn't totally ignorant to the potential harm of radiation. She was obviously a smart woman after all, but she was very passionate about her discoveries, so she kind of just ignored the danger personally. In 1934, Marie developed a plasmic anemia due to the radiation exposure, and her body stopped producing new blood cells, which would ultimately take her life. Marie Curie died on July 4th, 1934, at the age of 66. So now we get back to the beginning part of the story, which is really interesting. So in 1995, she was buried in the same cemetery where her husband, Pierre, and her in-laws were laid to rest. But then in 1995, France honored and moved her and her husband into their national mausoleum, the Pantheon. Marie and Pierre joined some of France's most distinguished people, and Marie was the first woman to be buried there, which is extremely deserved, I will say. But okay, this is the interesting part of the story, like the beginning that I shared. So uh, more than 80 years since her death, the body of Marie Curie and all of her research belongings, her cookbooks, her furniture, are still radioactive to this day, like dangerous to be around. Her original notebooks are actually held in lead-lined boxes in France's National Library. And in order to hold one of her old notebooks. You have to like be decked out in all of this equipment, like this like suit, or I don't even know, like something for your hands. And you have to sign a waiver because it's literally still radioactive. So such an interesting story. Marie, she persevered. To this day, she's still being talked about because of this radioactivity, like this discovery that literally killed her. You know, against all odds, she discovered these things that have literally changed our world as we know it. Like, if you think about it, I mean, we know that radiation therapy kills cancer cells or slows their growth by damaging their DNA. Like, I remember my mom going through radiation when she had cancer when I was in, I guess it was middle school. My mom had lymphatic cancer and the radiation literally saved her life. You know, she's been cancer free all these years now. And it's just crazy to think that this woman, Marie Curie, I mean, obviously radiation isn't always the end-all, be-all solution. But without her, this really would not exist. And it's just incredible. Like, she did this. She pushed herself to towards her passions, literally killing herself in the process. Like, it's really inspiring to hear stories like this about people who find their passion and literally will do everything possible to further it and to help people. Like she was extremely selfless, even given all of the things that she battled in her youth, like losing her mom and her sister at a young age, being denied entrance to all of these schools because she was a woman. During the First World War, I forgot to say this, she actually went to like the front lines. She worked to develop this small mobile x-ray unit. Like I don't really know what it looked like, but making – x-rays accessible at the front lines like she was able to help diagnose injuries near the battlefront and she toured paris she was a director of the red cross radiological service she asked for money supplies vehicles to help out the efforts like she was so so passionate about her research but also helping people it makes you think like what is my thing what is my thing i mean we all I guess it's just like a human thing. You want to find your thing, your purpose. I think it's also like an evolutionary thing. Like you find what you're good at and do that. And that's how you stay alive or have in past past times of like you find your thing, your, your stick, your niche. And it's kind of hard. It's, it's really tricky to find your niche. Like I find this as an influencer. Like obviously I'm not a scientist, but I find all these people on the internet who are so good at something, like this is their thing, they're so good at it, that's like whatever knows them for, or they're really good at speaking about one specific thing. I'm like, do I have a specific thing or am I truly – I've said this before, A multi-hyphenate in that like I do a lot of different things but nothing like extremely well to the point where it's like my thing. My passion. Like, I think my passion might be like 17 different things woven into one, but that's, I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm happy that I'm good at some things, but I'm, it just doesn't feel like it's very concise and like narrowed into one thing. And a lot of the days, I feel like I'm just working, eating, sleeping, repeat. It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything like super remarkable that's going to change the world. And, this might even sound so silly to some people, like hearing me talk about this, or it could be totally spot on to how you're feeling too. Like it's, I think we're taught to find a job that pays well and support ourselves and find a husband or a wife and have a family. And it just feels like it's kind of set up for us. But like Marie Curie truly, she forged her own path. She decided this is what the world expects of me and I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to shake it up and literally change things. I don't know if she knew that she was going to change the world. Maybe that's the key. Like just living so undeniably true to yourself and just hoping that you're doing something good. I mean, there's so many people that have these passions that have done things that end up being really disastrous for the world. Like the greatest What do you call them? Like, like villains of this world, I guess. Like the Hitlers and all. Like people who thought had this passion, but it ended up being destructive and hurtful and horrible. Like, I guess my only hope for myself is to chase my passions and those things that get me out of bed, those things that I love doing, but doing them knowing that I'm not hurting anybody, hopefully, in the process. Like, it's a fine line, passion. Like, passion can be – I mean, when I think of the word passion, I think of positive things. I think of really great, beautiful, you know, awesome things and great people in this world who I've talked about on this podcast that have had this passion inside of them. But you, you never think about those people who have had that passion, that same drive and power towards things that either destroyed them or other people. So, you know, it's a great – It's a great power having a passion, identifying your passion, because it comes with great responsibility, I guess, of knowing what to do with it, or I guess figuring it out along the way. And of course, there's also so many stories about how someone had this passion and wanted to do something and did it, and then everything was going great, and then all of a sudden things didn't go so great, and they either went into bankruptcy or... It became a scandal in the headlines. Like you hear all these stories about different like startups that started out so, so great. I mean, you can think of like We Crashed, the documentary. We work started out as this really great thing. And then obviously with great power comes great responsibility of knowing how to keep it going and not get greedy and not get overwhelmed by the success and crash and burn. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like really overwhelming when you, I almost like I was thinking the other day, I'm like, you know, There's never been more women CEOs in the world. Like it's also inspiring and people are really taking life by the reins and doing what they can with it. But it's also overwhelming. It's like when you read all these statistics of people starting businesses, like I remember hearing that when you start a restaurant, a lot of times unless you have like crazy investors or like anything, like if you're starting just a restaurant in your neighborhood, for example, you're really going to be in debt or really at best break even for the first x years. Like it's going to take a while and you do it because you're passionate about it. You do it cuz you love the food and and giving it to the community and having this establishment and you do it out of that love for what you're doing, but it's not really a monetary gain all of a sudden like right out the gates. And that's the same with like many businesses that people start. It's you have to do it and it's a little bit of fear involved in starting something cuz you know it's it could plunge you into debt but you do it because you love it. Like you do it not for the money. And I think that that's the secret, but it's kind of going against everything we've been taught because we're taught to follow this linear kind of trajectory of going to school and getting a job and making enough money to survive and having enough money in savings and saving for retirement and investing in all the right things. And money kind of takes the place of the passion because it becomes the only thing that you can see sometimes and you get worried that you're going to go into debt or end up like someone you know that did. And it's all very scary, but I guess I just – I really – I want to keep myself open And chasing those passions and those things that sound stupid, not because it's going to make me an overnight success or a household name or make me millions upon millions of dollars it's something where i can go to bed at night knowing that i am obsessed with what i'm doing and putting out into the world even if no one else cares like i think that's the kicker like doing that thing that you love 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 so much even if literally no one cares like even if one person cares like there's been little series on my channel and like on TikTok that i've tried to do and i've stopped because it didn't seem like anyone cared about it and I mean, one of my fatal flaws is that I care a little bit too much about what people think of me. I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. But for me, I know that's like my one thing that I have identified as a problem and I have to deal with it. And I think I'm getting better, but I'm definitely not healed from it overall. Like I know that I still struggle with it with literally every decision that I make, I think, about what people will say. I think about not even just like the random strangers of the world. I think of my friends and my family and like are they going to think that I'm going off the deep end? And I guess that's how people felt about me when I started my YouTube channel, which has literally transformed my life. So I guess it's just finding that thing that you love so much, which for me growing up, it was making videos on the internet that really didn't have like any specific purpose other than just making me feel good. Like it made me feel so inspired and motivated to create content. I guess that's why I'm still doing it because it's still to this day, just the content of it all makes me so excited. Like when I have a really awesome thing to put out there, but it does make me think like, oh, well, what's next? Like, what's my next passion going to be? What's the next thing going to be that I'm going to get so excited to do? And I just haven't found it yet. And I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay. I think I should, you know, count my blessings that at least I'm living a healthy, decently happy life. Like I say decently because it's not always rainbows and butterflies and sunshine. You guys know that from my episodes here. But I think it's about staying humble, but also realizing that I'm not finished yet. Like there's so much else out there for me to dig into. And I just have to keep an open mind and open heart and not focus so much on the money aspect and what people think. So I'm kind of speaking this into existence. Like I want all of us to focus on that and try to figure out what those things are. And I think the way that you stumble into these discoveries, like literal scientists that stumble into discoveries of x-rays and all that, is to just keep yourself open and trying new things and going to new places getting yourself into uncomfortable situations of trying new experiences, like having new friend groups that you stumble into because you were nice to one person and then they introduced you to another person. And it's all about just immersing yourself in your life, being an active participant in your life. Like, I think that is the secret, just actively participating and not just riding in the back seat and not know where you're going. Like, I mean, granted, no one knows where they're going, but at least taking the wheel for most of the time and saying no when you want to say no. Okay, not always saying no, but when you know something is just not for you and it's the money talking or the other people talking, saying no to those things. But saying yes to those things that you know might be hard and not so comfortable for you to go into a new environment, a new situation, try a new job. But those are the things that grow you, that make you so indestructible almost, or like just gives you more armor to face those harder things. Like it just gets, it's a building block, you know, to figuring out what your passion is. I think that's the secret. I think that is the secret to life. I think I just solved it. I think I never have to post a podcast episode ever again because I just figured it out. <laughs> Drops Mike. <laughs> this is my last, my last thing out there. I'm just kidding. I'll never stop. But anyway, guys, What an episode. Hope that this story inspired you. Hope that this gave you a little dose of hope if you're feeling a little lack of motivation and passion right now. And you know what? That's it for the episode, guys. Cheers to our passions, those things that we know that we love to do and that we think make the world a better place but also make us feel inspired. But also cheers to those passions that we don't know are our passions yet because – We are, a lot of us, so young and have so much time to figure it out, and there shouldn't be this pressure, but also we should know that, you know, just because we haven't found our thing yet, it's almost like a superpower, you know? It's like a lot of uh, stories, a lot of movies and shows are based around this person who doesn't know that they have a superpower yet, and they think they're mortal, and then all of a sudden one day they're like, whoa, my superpower, I have one, you know? I think that that's the same with passions. I think a lot of times you find your thing later in life. A lot of people have, you know, there's a list, a laundry list of people who haven't really found their shtick, their thing, the thing that makes them them until later in life. And I think it's all about just staying open to the possibilities of it all, not closing yourself off and deciding that you're the, you know, most boring, normal person in the universe. And you don't deserve to have this thing that lights you up inside. I think that that's the secret, just staying open. Anyway, so cheers to these things, the passions we have, the passions we don't know yet. And that is it for the episode, guys. Thank you for listening. Hope you all are doing well and are having a lovely week. And I will talk to you guys next Thursday. Bye.